And now, Grantland Pop Culture. Hello, Grantland uh, enthusiast. This is Dave Schilling, and I'm with Paul Shear. Paul Shear, the very talented, very busy Paul Shear. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be in this uh, this Grantland living room here. This is, this is your first time, correct? Uh, yes. Uh, I am a fan, so I'm excited to be here. Fantastic. Um, you have more projects than I can, can name right now. <laughs> uh, final season of The League, Crash yes. Test, Hot Wives franchise, which I'm yes. very excited oh, to be cool. watching right now. Where do you find all the time to, to do this stuff? You know, I think that now... We exist in an age where you have to be doing multiple things. Um, the league only shoots for 12 weeks out of the year. Hot Wives shoots for 10 days. We do eight half hours in 10 days. You know, um, Crash Test, we shot in one night. So it allows you to fill your year with a lot of different stuff. I remember I was working on my very first like big show. It was a UPN show called um, Make My Day. And it was a positive prank show. And the whole idea was... We're going to prank you by having the best day. Instead of like crappy things happening, the best things are going to happen. And I met these two guys who were the British showrunners, the creators of it. And I said to them, I was like, wow, like you guys must just like sit on a stack of money. It's like the fifth show that you've sold to America. And he was like, no, if I don't work for like three months, I'm nervous. And I was like, well, that's different. That's not like America. You create one show and you're rich and you're done. And I think that that's what we're kind of coming to now, this idea of there are many outlets, many different ways to do shows and what you want to do, but you have to work more. Like, you know, there's only one Big Bang Theory and, you know, and then the rest is like a bunch of like niche shows that you're like, this is great and a million people watch this uh, or this people listen to your podcast. You just have to kind of diversify or – just wait around. I don't want to wait around. Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the things that's different is syndication isn't like a thing that, that no. gives you like, here's $50 million because your TV show is now on uh, in Wyoming or something. No, it's crazy. It's like we – I'm lucky now to get like NTSF SDSUV, which is a show I did for Adult Swim about like making fun of like CSI and NCIS. We just got on Hulu. And that just has opened up a bunch of doors where people can actually watch the show and see it in its entirety instead of like staying up late to watch it on Adult Swim. But there's no money right. in Hulu, you know. Right. And whereas back in the day, I, I guess kind of like it was the idea that like I think like people were on Gilgan's Island, they never made residuals, and they're like, well, if we made residuals, we'd be rich. And then you know, people who are on Family Ties, they made residuals, and then they became really rich. And now we're kind of going back to the Gilgan's Island area where it's like. Yeah, yeah, well, you won't get residuals again, and but at least people will see it. I right. kind of – at the end of the day, I feel like uh, – maybe I'll you know regret this, but I do like the fact that people can see it. You mm-hmm. know, it's like – and yeah, money is different now, but to me it's sort of like, well, that's why you have to kind of always challenge yourself and do different things. But at the same time, you're not chaining yourself to a show that – like, you know, like Friends. When they were on Friends – you know, not that who cares, but I mean, but when we were friends, it's like <laughs> right. they they were there for an, almost an entire year and they couldn't do anything. Yes. Yeah. And so, like, I guess you trade up your freedom for or the money for freedom. Yeah. I mean, I, I think and, and not to name names, but just as an example, let's say Matthew Perry. Right. Yeah. He's like you said, doing that show and he's making a million dollars an episode or something. Yeah. But then he only has two months to do a movie. And that movie has got to come together and everything's got to work right. and it's got to fit in that exact schedule. And everyone that I've ever dealt with who's ever dealt with a movie knows that that's impossible. Right. Like I remember hearing Dana Carvey go like the reason why I took that movie Opportunity Knox, which is a movie I saw when I was a kid, 
uh, was because that was the best script offered to me at that point. I kind of like that movie. You know, as a kid, I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was so cool. He was wearing sneakers and a suit. Yeah, he's like a cool con man guy. Yeah, it was great. But it's like, but I hear what he was saying. He's like, I only have two months, so it's not like I can pick the best script. It's like I can pick the best script for right this second. Right. And, you know, for me, I think that background came out of the fact of UCB. Like, mm-hmm. I studied Upright Citizens Brigade, which is created by Amy Poehler, Matt Besser, Ian Roberts, and Matt Walsh, all who you know through very different things. Um, but they kind of taught us early on. They're like, if you want to do a show here, you have to uh, produce it. You have to star in it. You have to direct it. You have to write it. And so we were doing that and doing, like, five shows a week. And they were not great shows. So a lot of them were kind of pretty crappy. But – um but you start to learn how to do this thing. And no matter what I've done since then, and that's, gosh, now I've been doing that since since I was in college. Like I still I perform at UCB on a given week at least once or twice a week. So And that like always like, oh, that's an outlet. And then like then the next outlet is like, oh, I can always podcast on top of that. And, oh, I can always do another show on top of that. I can do a special on top of that. So it just becomes like another outlet so you never feel like you're – one thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of people in comedy, especially people that are, you know, of your generation that, not restless, but eager to try things, eager yeah. to, to get out there and, and, and fiddle with different projects and, and podcasting wouldn't exist without, you know, people uh, that like Mark Marin and yourself and Ackerman and all these people who just wanted to do something, just wanted to experience this new medium. Well, that was the thing. Like when I helped, I helped co-create Wolf Pop, which is a sister right. network of Earwolf. And when we were looking for people to do podcasts, we were just saying like, all, all I want to find are people that want to do this. And I feel like that at the end of the day is the most important thing because I think there are some people who are like, oh, I want to get in the podcast for the money. <laughs> like, and, and that's There's ridiculous. No There's no money in podcast. Right yeah. It's like, it, it's, it should be because you want to do right. something. And if you want to do something, a lot of the times that that catches on and mm-hmm. then people will talk about it and then that will spread. And, and you, you're not going to be as popular as Marin right out of the gate, but you might, you know, you might curve it around and you might get something. Um, that, or at least that's, that's what I've learned in everything that I've ever done. It's like, do it for the right reasons. And then it, it may not be the biggest thing out there. But it will be fulfilling and people will like it. And that's the only thing you have to judge anything on. It's like what you've done before. So if you like take a lot of big money gigs or sh- stuff, I don't know if I can curse, but I did. That's uh, all right. Yeah. yeah. You, you can um, – then you'll be judged on that. Yeah. But if you maybe do cooler things that you're really proud of, you'll be judged on that. And it may not be the things that everyone in America knows, but it will be the thing to get you to your next job or give you – credit to get some more money to make another thing. Well, let's talk about the league then, because that's yeah. something that I think a lot of people see as this cool thing that you're doing. That, you yeah. know, I think maybe you're not... I think it's probably the thing you're the most known for, actually. Would you yeah. say? Would you, you get people stopping you, calling you Andre all the time? Yeah, I would say the league is definitely now overtaken. Although I will say recently, and this is a, just to show like the difference between cable and network TV, I also do Fresh Off the Boat. Right. And being on that show, I'm like, oh, wow. Like, what happened over the course of four or five years in the league happened almost instantaneously on Fresh Off the Boat, which is an interesting... Yeah, it's like 5 million versus 15 to 20 million, depending yeah. on you know, how big... I mean, and it's... Yeah, I mean, and it's it's a crazy kind of switch. But yeah, the league has been this great, great experience. Like, we've we've done... We're in our seventh and final season now, and it's been really fun because the show has kind of always been the underdog. Right. Like FX 
and now we're on FXX, which uh, yeah. What does the extra X stand for? Uh, I don't know. I mean, and maybe it's uh, the extra X is like we need more programming. It's like what else are they going to do? Right. FXX is really making a bold statement by having an entire network that literally has. I, I calculated it. It has. Um, an hour of programming, <laughs> one hour of programming a week for 26 weeks. That's it. And then The Simpsons, right? It's and then The like Simpsons, Simpsons nonstop <laughs> and some Mad About You's on the side. What, uh, really? They have Mad About oh, You? Oh, they have Mad About You. It's a, it's a premiere stop. I had stop. no idea that was my favorite cable channel. Now it is. <laughs> Paul Reiser, shout out. You, I mean, me. there it is. It's uh, Yeah, it's a network that I feel like... We got bamboozled into. It's like, <laughs> hey, we're starting this new network, and you guys are going to be the, the flagship, you and Always Sunny. And then they're like, oh, yeah, we forgot to program it. <laughs> um, but, uh, but the league, yeah. besides being on FXX, um, has been kind of great because it was started by Jeff and Jackie uh, Schaefer. And Jeff, who people may not know, but he was behind, uh, I mean, originally back in the day, Conan. And then he was on Seinfeld, and then he's been behind Curb Your Enthusiasm, and then now recently worked with Sasha Baron Cohen on all of those movies. Um, so he comes from a really like huge comedy pedigree, which was exciting for me. Um, and the show is kind of improvised. Uh, it's a scriptment, kind of like Curb Your Enthusiasm, where we get like a 12-page outline, and then we improvise within the scene. So it's been one of the most freeing experiences for seven years to come to work to know what we're shooting roughly, but then how to get there, we're kind of deciding and working with people that you genuinely like. And I've realized as time has gone on, it's more and more rare to have that. And this is very rare era that we're in. Well, I think the first thing that I really connected with with the show when I, when I first saw it was the ensemble. Yeah. It's how comfortable you all were with each other and that there was a sense of familiarity and, and actual um, – appreciation which is again a thing that you don't get on tv shows where it's like oh they're all friends or they're all hanging out and they're buddies in in a bar or a coffee shop but it's got this stilted rhythm and and it doesn't feel like when i'm with my friends but your show always felt like oh i'm with my friends well that's really nice of you to say and i think that that really comes from the dialogue being improvised there aren't lines to learn there are lines in the script you know jeff i think uh is behind the idea of the uh, regifting that Mm -hmm. was a seinfeld term that they you know they came up with and i think he's very good at creating terms like eskimo brothers like two guys who slept with the same girl which i was so excited when it was on bachelor in paradise i flipped out um, or no, is it the Bachelorette even bigger, more important? Uh, but um, you know, these terms have kind of gotten into the lexicon, like vinegar strokes and stuff. So there are terms like that in there. But how we kind of get them there is kind of our own doing, and I feel like that is us figuring out. Like, oh no, I wouldn't say it like that. I would say it like this. And and I think also that goes to show that FX gave them the freedom to cast a show. I. I've been involved in a lot of different things, and a lot of times when you go to a network, they're like, well, no, we don't like that actor. We want to put this actor in, and we like this actor more, and it's a network president who's not involved with the process, watching on the last day of an audition, which no one's ever good in an audition, and making a judgment. Where FX is like, give us your cast, and then we will rubber stamp it and say it's approved. So you get two levels of it. Like They were able to pick the cast they wanted because they knew the characters, and then when we get in there, we're able to say it the way we want. So it... It's a really – it's. I think that that's what makes a show kind of a fan favorite and it, it's kind of helped the show. Yeah, it's it's got that, that vibe of uh, true authenticity, like I said. Yeah. You guys aren't 
it doesn't feel fake. It again with the the improvisation, I think that's a big part of it. Uh, your f- uh, friendship with each other, just everything. Just it, I, I I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm no, saying I, I love your show. Well, yeah. I, I really appreciate that, and it's like I think that the cool thing that uh, that they did too is like you have Mark and Katie uh, who are from the independent film world. You know, they're writers, they're directors, they're actors, and their style of improv is not like. Curb, you know, it's right. a different style. So that, so they're bringing something to the table. Then you have Steve, who before this is like a network sitcom guy, super funny, an amazingly great stand-up, uh, but that's a different uh, skill set. Then you have Nick Kroll, who is my buddy. Uh, we came up through UCB together. He's a character guy, super funny. We share a very clean, similar sensibility, but also stand-up and really good. Then you have John, who is a... Canadian YouTube. soap opera, yeah. yeah, John Lejeune, who's started off being a Canadian soap opera star and then a YouTube yeah. star. So that's a lot of different voices, and I think a lot of mutual respect too. It's like, oh, I like what you do there. Oh, I like what you do there, and so we come into it from a place of, how do you do this? Oh, what right. are you going to bring to this? And so I think that made us different enough that we're not w- one voice. Was there ever a moment when you were kind of? afraid to work with people who maybe didn't have the same background as you where you're like a traditional UCB improv person and you got a stand up in here and a YouTube person. Oh and, yeah. Like yeah. I think for sure you're always like, how are you guys going to do this with me? But I think at the end of the day, the tenant of improv, like you can call it whatever you want and you could teach it any which way you want. I, I love the UCB and I'm always a big believer in them, but you can go to any improv class. And the one thing that everyone will tell you is agree and make your partner look good. And as long as you do that, it doesn't matter what school of thought you are from. And I think that that's the one thing about the show is – and we've gotten better and better as we've gone on. I'm like, OK, whatever you're saying, I'm on board and I have my character's point of view and I'm going to just play to that and keep on moving forward. And so a lot of the times we're either going like, oh, that – here, I have a good joke for you. You should say that to me. Oh, OK. You know what? I, should, I can set you up for this. So we're always kind of – it's like you're playing a game and it's sort of like, all right, I'm going to pass you this ball and you're going to do this. OK. Oh, great. So we're kind of like calling it on the fly and, and I think that's really fun. Do you ever feel constricted when you're working strictly on a script, not having the opportunity to – 100 percent. Yeah, because – I think the thing – I'm a writer and I'm direct and produce and I've done all this. I've done both sides of it. And I know it's frustrating to be behind camera and you have an actor not hitting a line the way that you want. And then you have to start to start to say to yourself like, all right, are they making it worse or are they making it better? And I think sometimes there's a pride thing in there where it's like, no, no, I want you to do my line the right. way I want it. And the thing I've learned from being now on both sides of it is get it the way you want. 100%. But then open it up because what's good on the day, what's funny on the day, what's good in your head may not be good when you're editing it or putting it out and you want options. And so what I think I have an issue with is not like I don't like scripts. I do. And I and I but at least let us play with it. Like let like get what you want and then let it just open up even the tiniest bit. I've been on sitcoms and done guest stars where it's like, "Well, you said there instead of they are." And it's like Oh, all right. Well, th- like, is it more important for you to get the exact wording or for it to sound natural? And I think that's what you're talking about, like yeah. that stiltedness. It's like, well, that's not the way I would say it. That's not the way anyone would say it. That's the way a writer would write it. Well, yeah, because the rhythms of a traditional sitcom are sort of staccato in a way that yeah. doesn't sound 
authentic to my ear, to a lot of people's ears. And that's why I think it's difficult to launch a show today that has that traditional sitcom rhythm. And you see a lot of them struggling to find their voices. Uh, yeah. It's a hard thing to do. And I, 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 I'm, I don't know how they do it. Well, I think it's a lot of – I think comedy by committee is tricky. You know, it, because you do need someone at the back to be like, and now I've made a decision and we're moving forward. And Jeff and Jackie, I think, are really great about that in the league because the floor is ours. We can do whatever we want when we're there. And then they go in the edit room and then they kind of go, like, and now this is what it will be. Um, but I think a lot of times on networks, it's like, and this is what it will be. And then someone else comes in and goes, like, well, no, 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 I don't get that. And they should change that. Okay, well, let me make that one adjustment. And then you show it to the next person. Well, no, you should change that. And then it's like, all right, so now it's becoming a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy. And then that's what America's seeing. And it's like the whole ridiculousness of pilot season. Like, all right, so every year all these new pilots come out. And how many last? Like three? Yeah. You know? But to get to these pilots even being on air, so many people have tinkered with it. And when people are going to realize, like, oh, yeah, this doesn't work. Like, the system that we've created doesn't work. It's not like, oh, like, every network should be proud if they're like, oh, yeah, we launched seven pilots and we have six shows on the air now. They've all lasted except for one because one we made a mistake on. It's like, no, no, no. You launched seven shows and you're lucky if one sticks around. Like, I think NBC didn't even have a show that returned for the second season until uh, I think Community was the first one, and the one, the only one after that was uh, about a boy. So it's like we're like that's a huge gap of time. I want to say that the, it's just because there's so much uh, infrastructure around the system that to change it would put a lot of people out of work. I would think. Like, well, that's it. You I think you produce yeah. eighty pilots or thirty pilots or something, and. There's a Teamster who's, like, carrying a box who's getting paid $90,000 a year. Well, by the way, give that Teamster $90,000 because I would – that carrying that box from one side of the stage to the other side is way more important than someone in an office who's never written, performed, or or, or you trust their comedy sensibility yeah. giving you comedy notes. Yeah. Like, that's the worst – that's the worst when you're like, oh, man, I've had to deal with – and I've been lucky. I've worked at MTV. I've worked at Adult Swim. I've worked at FX where everyone kind of gets it and are cool. But when you have to come up against like bonehead notes from studio executives, I developed a pilot for ABC. And there were lovely people there. But every now and then you would get a note. You're like, what? Uh, okay. Like, and it's, and it's a, this aggressively making characters likable and taking away anything. Like I would love to see – I think this would be the the best experiment, actually. Take have three networks all produce the same pilot. FX, uh, you know, Comedy Central or FX and Comedy Central probably similar, but F they wouldn't want me to say that. Uh, I, but, I, IFC and I, uh, Stars exactly, yeah, but they're it's all like, different. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They're all, but they're not. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> but you have like ABC do one, you have FX do one, and I don't know AMC do one, and I would love to see how three networks filter the same exact material, cast-wise and content-wise. And I think that would be amazing, just to see how different people attack the same subject matter and what the note process is. Because I think the the cast of the league, this show could exist on network, but it would be so watered down. It would be so weird. It's like, you know, I remember like that movie Galaxy Quest, like Tony Shalhoub's character is supposed to be a stoner, but the, the, the movie was like, well, the movie studio was like, well, we can't show him like getting high. Right. So his character is really funny, but un like untethered to why he's like bizarre. Like, I guess we can make the the thought like, oh yeah, he's a stoner, but no, no, he is a stoner, but we can't show that. Yeah, like, he's just a real weird dude. <laughs> yeah, and it's okay. like okay, sure. yeah. But yeah. those are the kind of decisions that you realize like 
after like three or four of those get made, you're so far away from the original source material that your audience is like, wait, what? Who is that? And sometimes it works, you know, but I don't know. Yeah, I was uh, I was watching Difficult People this weekend, oh, yeah. and I didn't know until a couple days ago that it was supposed to be on USA first, and USA ended yeah. up passing on it. And I thought, like, how do you make that show for USA? Well, but then you get a show like Mr. Robot, right. which is amazing, and does things that you're like, this should be on HBO. And now USA, are they going to start to become the cool network? I don't know, because... Mr. Robot is like that's their Mad Men right now. It's like what's the now USA is going to be doing? I mean, by the way, I think USA has done shows that like our parents love, you know, and our aunts, our aunts love. My mom loves Burn Notice exactly, and, and people love Burn Notice too. No offense to Burn Notice, but it's like, but these are. It's funny. It's like until you have that one thing, like I think that you know you're the worst benefits from the league as right. we benefited from Always Sunny. Um, and because it's like, well, you can push content to a certain degree. And, you know, You're the Worst has a premiere where they're snorting cocaine and doing drugs and getting high. It's like, that's because of us. And and I'm glad. I'm glad to open up that door because the door was open to us by Always Sunny having a gun in an episode. You know, so we can – I feel like hopefully we keep on pushing it. But sometimes it's hard to get that first door open. Uh, you mentioned sort of like the notes that you get from networks, and I'm interested to to ask you because you've been both talent in a show yeah. and you've also been a writer and producer on things. Like, what is the? How do you collaborate with people in in uh, those two different sides of the coin? Because uh, yeah. you're dealing with the network when you're a producer, but you're dealing with the producer when you're an actor. So, like, how do you take these hats off and 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 handle people in different ways? I think that when – and by the way, I could be totally wrong. But uh, I think that when you are an actor dealing with a producer, you know, you have to understand that there's a bigger picture besides you. And, you know, so, you know, obviously everything is unfair. Like, what? I have to stay in my trailer for five hours while you do two other scenes. But, you know, so – but you have to understand, like, they're trying to do a job, you know. And I think that that, like, understanding – that that's a thing there. And you're going to try to work with each other. Like, I'm going to give you as much information as you need from me. And I'm going to give, you know, show up. That's, that's an interesting thing. I, on the producing side of it, I'm always trying to treat my actors like I'm lucky to have them. And, you know, when I did a show like NTSF, I had Martin Starr, I had Kate Mulgrew, I had June, uh, June Raphael, I had Karen Gillan, and I had uh, Rebecca Romaine, like all people who are doing a lot of different stuff and have a lot of needs out there. So my whole idea is, I'm lucky to have you. I want to make this easy. I want to make this fun. So I think it's a producer's job to be like, let let me make this easy for you. I think it's an actor's job to be like, all right, when I'm here, I'm going to make it easy for the producer. Right. And, and then I think when you're dealing with the network, it's this little bit of push and pull because you want to feel like you're giving the network enough power that they feel like their voice is heard. And you also want to stand your ground. And I think the person who I've been so impressed with with that is um, Nanachka Khan, who does Fresh Off the Boat. You know, Fresh Off the Boat is a very different kind of show for ABC. It's not always sunny or cheery. It's, you know, about an Asian-American family being here. And I think it's an immigrant story. I think the writer's room is very much about people who are the outcasts because their parents were not from here or they were treated differently culturally. And an episode where... The mom goes to attack these two kids who are uh, st- stole from the restaurant. They dined and dashed. And she 
literally hits one of them with her car, like chases them down and hits one of them with a car. It's like, this is a mom on a network show hitting a kid with their car. And that joke is important for her. And so she was able to find a way to be like, I'm going to have the mom hit somebody with their car and then still make her likable because she's doing it for her husband and she's doing it for her family and she's doing it to protect her family. And I think America can relate to that. Like, yeah, don't mess with my family. And it's a fine line to weave because I think the network's like, you're not going to have her hit somebody with a car. But she was able to pull it off. And I think it's about massaging both sides of it, going like, I know that you're giving me my paycheck, but I also know that I can't make this totally white bread because if I make it white bread, it's going to – no one's going to care. And I think it, it's 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 a tricky balance. Well, it sounds like in that particular instance, what you have to do is explain that character motivation. Mm-hmm. If it makes sense for the character, the character can do that thing. Right. If it doesn't make sense, then it, that character shouldn't do that. Um, but it could be a wide variety of things. If it makes sense for a character to hit a person with a car, they should be able to do that. Right. If it makes sense for them to go to a strip club, they should be able to do that. You know, these are like the, everything should be on the table for creative people. And I think what it is 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 having a dialogue. And I think uh, so. Maybe that's the answer to the question: is like always having an open dialogue because I think where things get bad is when people are trying to be manipulative, trying to be sneaky, and the worst experiences I've ever had are when people think they're playing you, you know? And I think the network feels it if you're playing them. I think that, you know, your cast feels it if you're playing them. If you're open and honest and be like, here's the deal. I'm going to be totally, uh, you know, uh, transparent with you. It's going to get you further than ever. And that's kind of the way I try to work things because I don't want to be lied to and I want to know what's going on. Like if you're going to make me do something I don't want to do or ask me to do something that I feel slightly uncomfortable with, I'm going to tell you why. And you may disagree with it, but at least you know where it's coming from. And maybe we can reach uh, a point of like a mutual agreement because I'm transparent. But the minute you start manipulating and trying to puppet master, I think lies beget lies. And then all of a sudden you create this shaky ground and, and, and then things get rough. Well, it's kind of like uh, if if someone doesn't respect – the things that you need to accomplish. Like what Mm -hmm. you're saying about working with actors is I want to make this fun for you and I want want this to be easy for you. If you say that, that means that you're concerned about how they feel and what what their situation is and what they have to do to be successful at their craft. And And that's true of network executives, I would imagine. Network executives (laughs) don't care. They don't care. They're in an office. They don't care. But but I think the thing is, is you want to keep a cast happy because when you keep a cast happy, the performances are better. And when you keep performances better, you get – it becomes where you want to go to work. And then you want to do another season. And you want to do press. And you want to – it's all the things that you don't think of. It's a domino effect. And, you know, the minute one of those things goes down, it's like it – because as a producer – you want your cast to always be out in front of your show because that's that's you know fifty percent of the battle. Like the show is one part, but the other you know a part is there. And you know, like it's as simple as I remember Martin Starr on NTSF. He was like, "I need, I want to go do this movie," and I was like, "I want you to do this movie. Like, let's figure out how to keep you in the show as much as I can, and you go do this movie." Now, you know, like there came up a thing on the league this year where I had an offer to do this movie and it was like one day of, you know, that would overlap with the league and they wouldn't let me out. And and I know these are like whatever for your first world problems, but it, it makes you mad. And, you know, and I, I, I and I'm not above saying that for that day where I can't do 
where I'm told I can't do a movie because they won't accommodate one day. Yeah, my performance energy is a little <laughs> off that day. I'm like, bit, yeah. fuck you. Like, you know, and I, I'm angrier and I'm less engaged. And it's, and it's, you know, and so as a victim of it, I can tell you that, yeah, there's moments where you get like, you know, and that as a producer is what I always want to avoid. And, you know, maybe it wouldn't work out with Martin to do that movie. And, and we worked out a way that it did, but I want to at least try. You know, and I want to at least do the best effort of it because it does affect everything. It affects everything. Something that is sort of a different beast that I imagine didn't have a lot of notes uh, is Crash Test. Yeah. The new uh, stand-up comedy crazy special. The first ever comedy special on a moving bus. Uh, yeah, Rob Hubel and I got this uh, glass bus shipped from New York, and uh, we did a comedy show on it. Because I don't do stand-up. I do improv sketch I, for better or worse like bits you know so Rob and I started with Human Giant together and we kind of brought this bus around LA and bumped into like Aziz Ansari Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza Rob Corddry we have a Reno 911 reunion Earl Sweatshirt does an improvised music video but the cool thing about that was we have been doing this show Crash Test at UCB for years and uh, since like 2005 and I started off doing it with Aziz um, and then we were doing it during Human Giant Rob and I have continued kind of doing the show because it's fun for us every Monday night at 11. And we always had this idea, like, what wouldn't it be fun to, instead of having the comedians come to us, we go to them. We drive our bus to their house. And Ben Stiller heard about that idea and was like, let's do that. Let's go to Paramount and pitch this idea. So we pitched it to Paramount and we said, we want to do this comedy special on a bus. And they were like, all right, we're interested. And, and they're like, where can we have the script? They're like, well, there's not really a script. Right. Yeah. And they're like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, we kind of do this thing. Well, these will be bits. This will be areas that we'll kind of touch on. They're like, areas? And and it was a real process and a trust level with them to be like, just let us do our thing. We'll deliver you like A-list talent, you know, but there's not going to be a script. And we didn't rehearse it because we didn't have money to rehearse it. We had a very small budget. And a lot of the times when you see people in this special, when we roll up to their house, their fake houses – uh, it's the first time we're seeing them. Like, I texted disease. I'm like, do you want to do a bit in the show? He's like, yeah, I think I can do it. And he's like, what do you want me to do? And I was like, how about you do this? And he was like, well, how about I do this? And I'm like, all right, well, and but if you do that, how about this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, I'll see you at the taco stand at 930. <laughs> And we pulled up at the taco stand at 9.30. You were, you were on time. We were on time. Okay. I, I, it was a, there was a text like 9.45. He got there at 9.45. And, and it was like, and we did the bit for the first time. And the way that we would do a crash test. Yeah, show up at 11 o'clock. We'll see what happens. And, you know, we had a six-hour version of the show that we cut down to 51 minutes. And we could have left more in, but we always like to keep it tight on time. And that was really fun for us. But nothing – I would love to show you the script for the crash test thing. It was nothing was in there. And Paramount was very cool. They were just like, go – Make it. I think for them, they were like, you got all those stars? Okay, great. <laughs> you know, they yeah. love all those people. And uh, so we got away with it. But um, the only notes we got from Paramount, and they were pretty aggressive, was not making fun of Paramount. You know, I was like, oh, this is like, you know, we had a whole joke about like um, Optimus Prime. Like, we cannot make any references to Optimus Prime. I'm like, all right. So they were very concerned about the Paramount and who they're going to upset at Paramount. You know, he said like, uh, we had somebody's bones. Like, we like we kept people's bones on ice in there. Like, reanimate their corpse. Like, you, you, you know, don't but, wanna, you don't want a, a 3 a.m. phone call from Michael Bay. Say, exactly. You, did, you had made him have sex, Optimus Prime. Yeah. Well, that was. was a dog? Like, that was essentially it. Like, we, like, so, like, we're like, they're not going to care. It's like, yeah, whatever. So, 
Paramount's notes only con- uh, concerned saying jokes about Paramount, which really sucked because we went on this like uh, supposed studio tour, and that was a huge part of it. And it was all these jokes about you know like how Francis Ford Coppola stopped making movies and started making wine here, you know, and like just dumb stuff like that. Like no, no, no. So like our whole studio tour is like really cut down because it was like Paramount would not like let us say a word. And Tom Lennon and Ben Grant. Oh, yeah, they did the Rio 911 characters. Yeah, right? uh, as close as they could to those characters oh, about being sued. copyright. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, so it was like, that. that's where we got into trouble. But I don't mind those notes, and sometimes you can fight for those notes, and sometimes you can't, because that's like kind of a, it's not about comedy, it's like about relationships, so that's always tricky. How difficult was it to pull off these sorts of things in public with like a, a, a moving bus and, and people that are just like coming to and from Hollywood Boulevard? Because I read yeah. Ian Carmel got uh, kind of heckled by someone. Well, yeah, so we were pulling up the people in the middle of public places, and our bus is this loud, ridiculous thing where, uh, like, you got a picture, it's a glass bus with a full audience sitting like they would sit in a movie theater facing out to the street so it's just a moving theater and we were and so Ian was set up to do stand up in uh, uh, Man's Chinese Theater which is if you know anything about Man's Chinese Theater it's a kind of the only hub of Hollywood in a certain degree it's kind of like 42nd Street there's kind of a dingy element to it but it's also kind of like we're here we're in Hollywood like a dancing M&M for some reason. Exactly, yeah. 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 It's like stuff. every costume character all charging you money to take a picture in their crappy costumes. So we put Ian there to do stand-up. Now, the thing is, Ian has a mic. Everyone on the bus can hear Ian as if he's performing on stage. Uh, our home audience hears Ian. But the people that are on the street don't know what's going on. There's a guy with a microphone. He's talking like we're talking like this. He's not He's not on a box. He's not shouting. Um, and he's doing this thing. So all of a sudden, people are interacting with him, interrupting his set. And Ian was amazing because he incorporated it and did this full set. And, you know, there's a group of people around, but those people can't even really hear them. Like, he's not, they're not laughing necessarily with him as much as they're just watching this guy. They don't even know what he's doing because he's not speaking that loud, you know? So, but there's like a crackhead kind of woman like ran up and he started dancing with her. There's two guys that tried to keep on giving him money like he was a stripper. So it was a really like live element. And we found people that were amazing. Like we found these two Johnny Depps. We had them like kind of compete. Batman got into a fist fight with the Joker. And it was like, oh, we're going to show off. But they got into like a real fight. And not like an anger fight, but like a, a stunt fight that became real. So it was great to kind of feel like, as Rob and I like to do like improvisational stuff, anything could happen. And, like, we didn't have anything planned. And the best part of that was we gave uh, one of the people from the bus, just a random person, an earwig where we could talk into his ear. And he'd have to say everything that we told him to. And what we got out of this guy was amazing. Like, our original plan was we'll do this with three people and we'll give a prize to the best person. This guy was amazing. We are like, we can't top that. We got to move on. Like, we had more bits to do with all these other people. But it was so good that we were like, all right, let's keep on going. So... That was the fun of that special. We didn't know what was going to happen. We knew, like, jokes that we would do about ideas, but that was it. 
Do you uh, anticipate doing more, or is that sort of like a one-off kind of thing? To me, ideally, we would keep on doing them yeah. and, and, and doing them in different cities. Like, you know, I'd love to do it at, during South by Southwest. I'd love to do it during uh, Comic-Con in San Diego. Right. I'd love to do it in New Orleans. I'd, you know, anytime where people are out on the street. Like, Republican I feel like the, National Convention. Ex- yeah, ex- yeah. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. Be oh, like, like, you know, it's like because that's – we're energy. Like, yeah. it, it's kind of what I loved about David tells like insomniac. It's right. like there's stuff going on, and that's what we kind of found when we were out there too. It's like let's interact with people. Let's see what you got. Let's see like you know, and then having people interact with them, it it just gives it a little bit more of. To me, what I love about UCB is it's a one-time only event, and you can only get it there. And there's no shows like that. There's no comedy shows like that. And that's what we wanted to do. And I think bringing it out live gives it that only th- that element. It, like, it raises the stakes. Yeah, and there's a little that- danger, and you're not so concerned about hitting your marks and like what you look like. It's more about like playing with this person and interacting and learning. And and, and it's a little yeah. sloppier. It's a yeah. little less polished, which I don't mind. You know. Yeah, I, I think that audiences. You know, going back to the league and improvisation. Audiences are looking for that authenticity. Yeah. And they're looking for uh, a chance to see something that's fresh and new and different. And totally. I, mean, I think that's why people watched SNL when that first came on. It's like, oh, my God, this is live. It's, it's a tightrope act, you know. It's yeah. like, and now it's become so kind of – I think SNL is always exciting because – you never know what's going to get cut, how the thing is going to be. But it, it's an institution now, so it's a running a little bit more yeah, there's, smooth. there's a format, and there's, there are segments, and you know how it's going to, to end. Yeah. You know, uh, Letterman was the same way. It's like when Letterman first started, it was uh, anything, any segment could have uh, come at any time, and there was more uh, of a playful attitude about it. And well, then by the time he's on CBS, it was like, this is how the show goes. Boom, boom, boom. And it's like, I think that's what's so exciting about Colbert. It's like, it's well, what is... I think that the growing process is always interesting. It's like Jimmy Fallon coming on to The Tonight Show. It's like I'm sure that that will continue. He's always great in cultivating this thing. But you never know what you're going to get. You know, Is it going to be charades? Is it going to be karaoke? Is it going to be a thing that goes viral? Like, you just don't know. And he keeps it fun. You know it's going to be something within this world. And I think like, all right, what's Colbert's antidote to that? Like, you know, Because he's going to do his own thing. He's not Jimmy Fallon. So I think it's fun to watch people who – give a crap a little bit you know it's like cordon too i think everyone knows we got to do something different right like if we don't do anything different no one's gonna tune in and everything's viral and you know it's yeah, like yeah i mean we, as an as an audience member as a person watching a show on tv you can tell when someone is going through the motions yes you can feel that uh and i think it's important for anyone who's starting a show to tell the audience, I care, like you said. Yeah. Like, when you watch Colbert, that guy cares about every second he's on camera. Oh, yeah. He's like so engaged all the time and he's so happy about what he's doing. And that's really what's engaging about him as a personality is his joy for performing. And you get that in Crash Test and a lot of the things that you do. Is- well, it, I think that goes back to what you – thank you for saying that. But, but I think that that goes back to what you were saying. It's just like – I want to do everything here that I'm doing. Like if like when I do my like stuff for Jash, like they're like, "What's the craziest idea that you ever had that no one would ever pay you to make?" And I was like, "Oh, recreate the Arsenio Hall show," and I got to do that uh, and make these Arsenio Paul shows. That's crazy, but it's like I want to do that. I make no money from that. Like, I, like even crashes. I made no money from crashes. It's like I want to do these things, and that's the excite. Like that's exciting to me. It's like. To be able to do that. And I think that's the energy. That's the excitement that you kind of – hopefully, I don't know, that I try – like 
that you can now bring to stuff because it's not like, oh, well, I'm like back in the day. It's like, yeah, I'm on a sitcom about uh, I'm an RA at a college. Like, you know, and, uh, like I hope I get some funny lines. Yeah. But like, you know, it's like you get to be a little bit more in control. And when you're in more control, you you're you have to fight for yeah, it. You, you want you people invest to know in it. that stuff. Yeah, because it's got your name on it or that you put some sort of piece of yourself into it. Yeah. It's, I, I, and I think it's like it's become I think it's weird when people are like Meh, whatever i don't care it's like you should care like i love what i love about this new star wars movie is like when you look at like daisy ridley and john uh boyega, boyega, boyega. yeah uh they're like psyched to be in star wars <laughs> yeah. and i'm psyched for them I because it's like it's cool like yeah yes. i don't know if you and mcgregor was psyched to be in it or natalie portman i feel like maybe and you know maybe it's hindsight's 2020 but it's also like they may have seen what was going on. Because like, yeah. like you and McGregor's like, bring me back, bring me back. Now. <laughs> That's good. I want to be in the good exactly. one. You know, but it, it, it's true. There's like, I think a, an ex, an enthusiasm for it, and I think that you you feel that playfulness a lot with the Marvel franchise too. It's like these people are like, yeah, this is awesome. Like we get to play. Like, and there's an energy to the like when you see the Avengers all out. It's like. Oh, they seem like they're drunk and having fun. Like, yeah. you know, they were uh, they were all on uh, Kimmel. Yes, that's the, and they that's did the, that like game. Yeah, the family like, feud. I th- I think Chris Evans is drunk. Oh, they were. Jeremy Renner definitely drunk. Oh, it was, and it's hilarious. But like, that's what you want. And I think that's the camaraderie that you that we have with the league too. It's like we want that. You want those people to have fun. Like when I went to when we were doing NTSF, the fun of that cast. We had a great time. We would always have a great time together. And, you know, I was talking to Martin about this the other day. Like, we were like, oh, we got to do it again. And it's like, it's a show that I pulled the plug on that prematurely only because, you know, Karen's in Guardians. June is doing her show. Uh, Martin is on Silicon Valley. Kate's on Orange is the New Black. I was like, we're not going to, the show is going to become a shadow of what it is. And I don't want to do that show. I want to do the show with all these people. And it's like, so you leave on a high note and, you know, it may suck. And it's like, all right, well, what's next? But I love the, the camaraderie off screen is the only reason to do it. And I've, I've been lucky that pretty much everything I've done has had that. Like you don't walk away being like, ooh, bully. Like even like even I did uh, with Fresh Off the Boat, we did like Hollywood Game Night. Super fun show. But the camaraderie between the three of us there just made it more like right. just let you be a little bit more loose. How much of producing and acting in Hot Wives comes from your own enthusiasm for reality television? You know, it's interesting. Like to me – that is, um, I, uh, my guilty, not my guilty, my pleasure is I love The Bachelor. So I was in Burning Love and did all that sort of stuff. So when they came around, Paramount came around to be like, oh, do you have an idea for um, doing something maybe in this world? And I was like, you know, I, my wife loves the uh, the Housewives, uh, yes, Housewives, or Hot Wives, I always get confused with that, uh, the Housewives shows. And I had an idea roughly, but I just like, you know, the two people who could really nail this are my two friends, uh, Donna Furman and Danielle Schneider. They and were I, in your UCB team back yeah, in the day. Exactly, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I talked to them. I said, we have this idea. It's a rough idea. And they're like, well, we are aficionados. We have this idea. And I was like, awesome. Like, let's go run. And so that, like, what's been kind of cool for me is to be able to be in a position where I can now bring in my friends and work with my friends and say, I want to support you now. Like, let, let, let's do this. And so I will always bring in different ideas. I think, and I don't want to speak out of school, I believe that both 
Orlando and Las Vegas were my ideas. I was like, we need Orlando is the perfect classy, not classy place to do a show, and then the heightening of Orlando had to be Las Vegas. Yeah. So those are uh, big contributions there. And every now and then, you know, we'll we all kind of sit around and talk about characters and stuff like that. Like, oh, what was a fun character? And but Donna and Danielle, like creatively are the masterminds and it's fun to be able to work on a script with them and be like oh, we should do this or maybe we should bring this around and, and you know it's, a, it's it, it helps I think it's, if anything you know they're molding the clay and sometimes we're just sort of like we're like Patrick Swayze uh, to Demi Moore and Ghost we're just sort of like oh maybe like this a little bit but you just know wrap uh, your arms around just wrapping our arms around but it's like that that's fun and I've been great to kind of serve that purpose and in the last uh, little bit of time I've been able to do that with People I really like this guy who does the show Gail Pyle uh, on Canadian stuff. You've maybe seen it on YouTube here. We helped him do a show and uh, helped my friend Nick Weiger, who's one of the EPs on NTSF, do a show and uh, just did a show with Harry Hamlin, which is a crazy like that. That it was Harry's show, but it was this guy Anthony King who ran UCB. So it's amazing to kind of like say like, hey, do you have an idea? Like, let's I have this in like right now. Let's go and run and do this together. You know. The last thing I want to ask you, because we yeah. just talked about reality TV, is you were on After Paradise. Oh, my gosh. Uh, what was life. that experience like? All right. So, it's like I said, I love The Bachelor. I love The Bachelorette. But I, I specifically love uh, The Bachelorette more than The Bachelor because women uh, – oh, sorry. No, I love The Bachelor more than I love The Bachelorette because – Dudes who are competing for women, they're they're not always like super like they're like, hey man, cool, all right, cool, hey bro, hey cool. This last season was particularly great because two guys really hated each other and that was awesome. Um, but the women are so much more engaging because there there's so much more weight to every decision and everything. I love that show. After Paradise is amazing. When they asked me to be on that show, it was a dream come true because to be in that world, I got to be in that world and meet some of the people from the show. And get to talk about that show in all earnestness. But also I knew I was facing Bachelor Nation. Yes. Which is a tough, uh, a fickle beast. You gotta, no, got you got knives out all the time. Well, you have to be, I think, to appeal to Bachelor Nation. I sound like the lamest person right now. <laughs> but I, 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 I love it. I am also a fan. It's okay. 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 What, wasn't Bachelor in Paradise great? It was fantastic. They uh, figured out how to make it really engaging. I think the one thing that it was missing mm-hmm. is a format. It's like I mean not a format but like a prize like what what are, yes. what are we playing for? Well, people was, would just leave because oh I, I guess I can't find a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I'm like well you can stick stick around. Well here's where okay I have a couple theories on Bachelor in Paradise. I agree with you. Yes, I kept on saying well they're um, when I was on After Paradise the the like kind of the Talking Dead of Bachelor in Paradise. I said, well, you know, he's playing the game. And Chris Harrison's like, there's no game. There's no game. I'm <laughs> this, like, is a, this is about finding real love. And I'm like, all right, well, uh, sure. I guess, like, my thought was, I feel like there should have been more of a um, – okay. So just for people out there who don't understand it, they basically took the best parts of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and put it all together in a, in a pot. And they created all the drama of those shows without putting any format to it. There's no real end. I think the end is maybe that one of them would get engaged. But – there are certain weeks where, say, there are seven women and there are nine guys. And the seven women have to give out seven roses. So two guys would be eliminated uh, in a given week. So the guys are competing to connect with these women because if they don't 
find love, they can't stick around longer. and To potentially find love later. But the, that's, yeah. the, that's the logical fallacy of the whole thing. It's yes. like you have to pretend to be in love with someone in order to stick around, which happened to our friend Joe uh, yes. and Julia. I, I assume everyone who's listening to this has watched the show. I because mean, you should. And by the way, I know you think, oh, I'll never watch it. It's you, great. You have to watch it. It's What's really wrong good. with you if you're not watching it? How did you feel about the, the Joe, Julia, Samantha I triangle? I thought, first of all, Joe was totally duped. Joe is a uh, uh, not a dummy, but he led with his heart. And, and he was like, he showed us a text message that Samantha sent. And Samantha's like, do anything to get a rose. And that's exactly what he did. And then when, he, then when Samantha came on, she's like, I don't trust him. It's like, I was like, watching that was the closest I ever felt to... Pure <laughs> anger. Yeah. Because there's so much I'm, I'm glossing over, too. Joe did some crazy things. But Samantha treated him like a villain. It's like, no, no, you were the one. Like, And she held to it. And even on the after show, she was like, but like going like, I don't know. I don't like it. drama. I don't she like it. You created the drama. Mm. Now, oh, let me tell you my idea to improve Bachelor Please, in Paradise. Please, absolutely. All right, so uh, seven women, nine guys. I think that if you have the rose... You can go like this. I don't see anyone here that I like. I want a new bachelor in. And you could, if you say that, because the women have to give out a rose. Yeah. If they don't, I feel like you have to be like, bam. Like, you, you, like there's a, there used to be a show called Next. I love reality TV. I do. And, and, there, and it was like on a date. And they were with a buzzer on the table. So you're having a date with somebody. And at any given point, you're like, slap that buzzer. Bring your person. Call in the lefty. I need exactly. a relief pitcher to come in. And I feel like that's what the show is missing because uh, why do I want to give out a rose to somebody? That you shouldn't have to. That you shouldn't have to. Like, zap it. And then you're kicking someone out. There's drama. And you're bringing someone in. And that's drama. I think the, – and the other issue was I think there should be a thing where if you found love, you should be kicked out. Because the people who found love early, it wasn't interesting to watch them. Oh, God. They Tanner and Jade to, was so dull. Oh. I mean, like, Janner – I love Jade. I love Tanner, but they're boring. Together, and, they're boring. Yes, they're t- and, and you know, and and Jade was. I, I thought Jade lost her fire. Like I thought Jade was so much <laughs> she more was interesting. A feisty one on the Bachelor. Yeah, You're right, and she kind of lost it. And, and you know, uh, Caitlin, I think got whitewashed a little bit too. I but agree. she, but yeah. she got a little bit. You know, she, towards the end there was drama. I think we're now airing into this new era of Bachelor where these couples might stay together for a longer time because they're so kind of boring. Like <laughs> like, uh, like Sean and uh, his uh, wife, I forget her name, uh, Catherine, like they, they – I think they're going to stay. Yeah. And then uh, now, now Caitlin and Sean, and- they seem so happy and I'm happy for them. They're going to stay. Janner, they're going to stay because they're sort of like – you, I don't know. There's a thing when you look at them, they're like, they're in it for the right reasons. And that's, and by the way, that's a kind of, I don't mind that The Bachelor, like, The Bachelor's been on for, what, 40 years? And it's like, two, one couple has stayed together. So I think we need to get some couples to stay together. Now. I agree. It would be nice. Well, thank yeah. you so much for coming in. Oh, my gosh. I my could, absolute pleasure. I, 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 when you got me on Bachelor in Paradise, like, I mean, uh, there's so many shows. I mean, my, uh, can I say the one show that, of course. You, that I really yes. want to talk about that if you aren't watching, you have to watch? Family Feud. Okay. All right, Steve Harvey's Family Feud. Everyone who's listening, you're like, what? Tape the new ones, not the one on TV land. And I think he's still doing Celebrity Family Feud on the weekends right now. It's awesome. He is one of the funniest guys ever, and he's doing the best comedy show on TV. Like, crowd work up the ass. It's hilarious. 
Family Feud with Steve Harvey, tape the new ones. You will not be disappointed. All right, I will have you back. We can talk about Family Feud, yes. Bachelor, and yes. uh, Steve Harvey's suit choices. Let, which I'm oh sure my are gosh, great. that I, I would love. You know, there was a whole sketch in Human Giant we never did, um, where it was because uh, we did these characters as ourselves. Like we had to be like Paul Aziz and Rob. And the one I wrote uh, early on was like Paul just starts dressing in Steve Harvey suits, and that was it. And it was just it was just the thing like that I and, and they were like that doesn't look good on you. It was like it was like almost pre Andre, but I just thought it was so funny like me my body because those suits are they're huge. giant, they're but they're gi- huge, and he's probably a large man. I've never yes. met him in person, but he's oh, probably- I'd love to meet him. Uh, uh, let's have him on the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right, great. Thanks, Thank man. you so much. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.